Everybody have a good Christmas? The new year is coming up. Seems like just a couple months ago we were all worried about Y2K and now it's 2014. I still have water in my basement getting prepped for Y2K. That was a bust, wasn't it? It was kind of one of those busts I'm glad busted. Okay. 14, that was 14 years ago. Lots happened in 14 years, hadn't it? Well, it's another new year, and traditionally the new year is a time for new beginnings and new starts, new commitments, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And uh, so, not to set myself up as an expert, but I want to tell you a quick story about what has been going on with me that kind of brought this message about. And uh, if you'd like to follow along, it, there's a... Uh, Notes in your worship folder this morning. Lots of blank space. I wanted to give you a chance to uh, write down what God says to you instead of what God said to me and I'm telling you to do it. Also, I had to have the outline in really early this week. and so <laughs> We did what we could. But hopefully those will help you as you follow along and as God speaks to you. Well, about uh, 12 weeks ago, 13 weeks ago, through a series of events, I got to that place in my life that some of us get, you know, where I'm uh, years old, and uh, yeah, and uh, my weight over the past five years or so had, well, the older I got, I would gain that much weight up to that, okay? Um, so I had just gotten to the place I was, I was worn out, traveling to Costa Rica had taken its toll on me, mostly because I wasn't in shape at all, and uh there's these things called mountains in Costa Rica, <coughs> and uh, very hard to get up and down, and I'd fallen a couple times doing things I shouldn't have been doing, like carrying 12-year-olds on my shoulders and things like that. All that had, and so I'd just gotten more and more out of shape, and you know, I, I don't know about you, I just love chicken wings. They're awesome. <laughs> pizza ain't bad either. Unfortunately, eating chicken wings and pizza at 11 o'clock at night, day after day after day, had taken its toll. I didn't feel good, was worn out, wasn't able to keep up through the day. I was, you know, spending hundreds of dollars a year, I figured out, in Snickers bars at 2 o'clock in the afternoon trying to keep, keep moving. So through a series of events and some people who had come into my life and basically challenged me to stop talking about getting in shape and doing something, stop talking about losing weight, stop talking about getting healthy and just do it, that I decided to do that about 12 or 13 weeks ago. And so I... I set a goal of what I wanted to do, which at this point I look back and think it was insane to set this goal by the end of the year. Got some people that came around me to uh, exercise with me six days a week at 6.30 in the morning, also insane. And appropriately enough, the program we were using to do this was called Insanity, so it all worked out. Changed completely the way I was eating, started taking in far more healthy food, in order to get to, a to reach this goal. Well, one of the things I learned in this is how important our core is. You know, you, you, you listen to exercise gurus and they talk about your core. Work from your core, get your core strong. And they're just talking about that, that piece of us that just impacts everything else. That what's going on within us internally in our core is what's going to impact the rest of our physical life, 
Well, that was 12 weeks ago, and not that I'm an expert or have this figured out, because Lord knows I could start eating chicken wings again tomorrow, and it would all come back, right? But not only, you know, I, I, I was just, it just kept coming off, and there'd be these starts and spurts. Anybody ever tried this? You hit these points where you're completely discouraged, and that happens along the way. There's physical soreness, there's mental battles, there's emotional battles when, you know, I just wanted a chicken wing, you know, this is a mental battle. But here's the cool part, at least for me, not to be bragging, but two days ago, this goal that I didn't think I would hit, and I don't think anybody else thought I'd hit, not only did I hit, but I surpassed two days ago. So my year-end goal was met because I just kept going through it all you know there were days I wanted more than three carrots and a piece of lettuce you know no, it wasn't that bad <laughs> it felt like it though so not to set myself up as an expert on this but just to share with you what God's been doing in my life through this this idea of working on your core it started hitting me that the very things that I had been working with men on in mentoring was really working on their spiritual core, was working to get them spiritually strong so that it impacted every other part of their life. So I want to share with you some thoughts today on what I think maybe you could take into this new year, not necessarily physically, but spiritually, to get to a place that you've always wanted to be. So we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and kind of go out from there. So if you have your Bible or your electronic device, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10. And find out what it really means to do core training for the new year. Here's what 1 Timothy 4 says. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. You might want to underline that word train. For bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we underline these, toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now let's pick apart these verses here for just a few moments before we go on. In verse 7, Paul, who is writing to Timothy, who's, this, who's a young pastor, says, don't waste your time on irreverent silly myths. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't waste your time on topics that don't matter to your spiritual growth or to the growth of the church. Not that there would ever be those topics, right? That things would, would come up that really aren't worth talking about. I think this can happen easily in the church and to Christians. See, we get caught up in the latest controversy that the press decides is supposed to be a controversy, or some controversial issue within theology at any given moment, and all the while not really growing in an intimate, deepening relationship with Jesus. There's one thing that is always better, and that's our efforts toward godliness. You see, for Timothy as a young pastor, it would have been very easy to feel as though every issue and topic that was brought up was important. That anything anybody in the church came up with was something that he should take the time to address or argue over or fight against. 
But look what Paul says. These things get to the place where they're just silly. They're a waste of time. Paul tells Timothy, stay focused on being a godly man. It is the number one priority. Rather, train yourself for godliness. See, there's this difference. There's getting caught up in stuff that doesn't really matter and talking about it all the time. And then, on the opposite end, is training ourselves for godliness. You get the impression you can't do them both. That we have to make a choice. In verse 8, for bodily, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The Bible very commonly compares godliness to physical exercise, and it does it on more, and one, more than one occasion. Paul compared them frequently enough in his writings to indicate that he believed there are many similarities between, between physical and spiritual exercise and physical and spiritual training. Paul was not saying here that bodily exercise isn't important. He's simply using it as a comparative statement to show that spiritual exercise, spiritual training, is much more important. See, physical exercise is only beneficial when? In this life. We're all going to get new bodies in the next one. So we're not going to have to work out six days a week at 6.30 in the morning, not that I'm bitter about that. But spiritual exercise will help us in this world, and then it also has an impact on the world to come, on eternity. There's some interesting things about exercise. You know, muscle can't be built instantly. There has to be a training of, that takes place over time. Likewise, godliness doesn't come instantly, does it? I know we'd all like it, right? We'd all like it to come instantly. Here's what happens, though. Many of us wait until we're already in trouble to try to flex our spiritual muscle. And it's just not there. It's like the couch potato who waits until the, end, uh, until the day of the race to train for a marathon. It's not going to work. It will not work. Consistency is also important in both physical and spiritual training. It's one of the most important factors in physical training. You can't put a week's worth of work and training into one day. You know, experts in fitness tell us that there has to be exertion for at least four days a week to increase your conditioning and your health level, and three days a week just to maintain I know that's not what we want to hear, but that's the truth. In the same way, we can't serve God in spurts and succeed. We can't, we can't strive after him in bits and pieces. And Well, two days here and a day over here. and Well, I'll get all convicted and I'll do like four days and then stop. There needs to be consistent spiritual training going on. One day a week just won't cut it. Especially if your one day a week in your spiritual training is here at 9 o'clock on a Sunday. This is good and we're commanded to come together as community. But if this is the spiritual training you get for an entire week, if this is your spiritual diet for an entire week, you're going to get spiritually flabby and unhealthy. Verse 9, 
Paul obviously believes that this is a vital and important truth to listen to and obey. You see, he says it's deserving of full acceptance. Not full acknowledgement, full acceptance. Meaning, this is worthy of you taking in and making it a part of your life. Train for godliness. Here's what's going to be easy to do after this message is finished today. Well, before we do that, let's wait. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to Paul's example of physical training. And I want to show you something that I think I've seen over these, these past several months of several types of people in relation to physical fitness. The first kind of person, first kind of people are those for whom fitness and exercise is not at all a priority. These are, these are those of us who nev we never set foot in a gym, we never consider our food intake. The entire concept of fitness is foreign and not interesting. Then the second type are those that care about the idea of becoming fit in theory. A week into exercising, their body becomes sore, they've yet to see really any benefit, they begin to realize how challenging it is. They see that eating right is going to take focus and effort. And after the initial excitement period wears off, they give up. The third kind of person is what I'd call a casual exerciser who shows up maybe once, twice a week, does a solid workout, but doesn't push themselves too hard. These are the people that if you, if you go to a gym, you see they've got really nice outfits <laughs> that never get sweat on them. They go to get, and they get a good day of eating in about once a week but end up kind of heading to the buffet more than the salad bar. These people are health and fitness conscious, but healthy living is certainly not their lifestyle. The fourth type exercises four, five, maybe even six times a week. I mean, they are into it. They work hard. They eat right every day. These people have serious fitness goals. Have you ever met somebody annoying like that? They want to be healthy, but here, here's a, a little gap. They aren't necessarily a part of a community of other people with the same goals. They're fighting to be self-motivated, but they have nobody around when times get discouraging and they feel like giving up. They feel like they can't keep going. But then there's a fifth type of person. Those who are completely dedicated to this, to living healthy. They never miss a workout. It's sick. They eat right all the time. They don't even have a cheat day. They're reaping the most benefits, though, aren't they? They're physically fit, and just as importantly, they've found a kinship and a friendship with a community of individuals who are urging them forward. They're keeping each other accountable to their physical goals. And here's what happens. Because of this effort, because of this community, because of this accountability, they put more effort in and the greater gain they gain on w many different levels besides the physical. Their whole life is, is different. Now, hopefully, you've seen through this very thin layer of metaphor. It's the same metaphor I believe Paul is using with Timothy. You see, the question for us is what 
type are you when it comes to your spiritual discipline in your training for godliness? Are you the person that would say, well, spiritual training is not really a priority for me? Are you the one who would say, well, I, I like spiritual growth. I, I, I like this in theory. Or maybe you're the type who's aware of the importance of spiritual growth and you try some, but it's not the core of your lifestyle. Or maybe you're that person who's striving for godliness on your own, but you lack the challenge of spiritual community. Those brothers and sisters who, who walk on this journey alongside you and encourage you and keep you accountable to your growth in Christ. Or maybe you're that person who's living a lifestyle of spiritual training and growth and accountability and you're seeing your entire life impacted. Does the metaphor make sense? Well, with that in mind, let's talk about what it takes to train ourselves for godliness. That's the challenge in verse 10, right? And through this passage in 1 Timothy, Paul says very interesting phrase in verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. See, there's a double meaning here that Paul's using. The goal of Paul's ministry efforts and his labor is that people attain godliness, and thus its eternal value. But there's another meaning here, I believe, is that this end, to this end, what end? The goal of godliness. Each of us is to toil and strive in our walk with Christ. These words, train, toil, strive, these are not words that indicate that godliness or following after Jesus is an easy thing. Anybody figured that out? On the contrary, the use of these exercise and bodily training terms clearly is showing us that spiritual growth is hard work. It takes effort. It is not easy. It is going to be frustrating. It is going to be painful. Paul goes as far in many of his letters, especially in the three chapters in Romans, Romans 6, 7, and 8, to say that this is a battle, a constant battle between what he calls the flesh and the spirit to continue to grow in godliness. Jonathan Edwards, a preacher of a couple hundred years ago in the U.S., said, do not fear failure, fear spending your life succeeding at things that do not really matter. See, we can't fear failure, we can't fear stepping into this and saying, I'm going to have to work at this, I'm going to have to toil at this, I'm going to have to strive at this, this is going to take training, this is going to take work, this is going to take effort, and it is a battle. Because I don't know about you, but I'd rather work at something that's worth working at than find I've frittered my life away at stuff that doesn't really matter. Well, what is this spiritual core training? It's kind of a made-up phrase that I made up just for this. Well, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I think we run our lives in certain ways, and those of us who are really, we're really trying at this. And so we decide that what we'll do, and this is not a bad thing, but here's what we do, and we create these things called priority lists. And so 
We're going to make our priority list. And you think about it, what kind of things end up? We're going to be very spiritual this morning. We're going to make the perfect priority list, okay? Here's what we do. We say, well, certainly my relationship with God is the number one priority and all that's involved in that. We got our Bible study and our prayer, our service. Then we'd say, okay, let's see, what would be next? Well, it'd probably be family, right? Tracking? Oh, family doesn't have a T in it. That would help. So we put our family there and all that we have to do with that. So we have God and we have family. And then down in here we say, okay, well, next would probably be, be the church, our ministry there. And then maybe this would be our community efforts, the things we're doing in our, in our cities and our towns to have impact. Okay? And down here we'd say, okay, well, I got, I got these friendships and these relationships that are important beyond, beyond the family. And so we create these priority lists. Ever done this? Even if you never wrote it down like this, we get these in our head, right? Here's the rub. I think that most of us fall into a trap where these, this doesn't become a priority list. It becomes a to-do list. And you see, the goal of a to-do list is completely different than the goal of a priority list. Here's the goal of a to-do list. Okay, so I did four and two, started on, see what happens? And we end up at the end of each day and this piece sometimes just doesn't even happen, doesn't take place. Yeah, we prioritized it, but when push came to shove, other stuff took over. You see, we have to think about what really ought to matter in comparison to what really is mattering. There's a disconnect about what we say are our priorities and what they actually are. For many of us, here's how our priorities play out. And I've made these up because I think this is what tends to happen. Number one, take care of the house. Number two, meet the next deadline. Number three, keep the people in my life relatively happy. That's what happens. We have to be honest and admit it because that's what happens, is that we get caught up in what Dawson Trotman, a great leader of the 1950s, said was the tyranny of the urgent. Here's what I'd like to show you to see if it maybe helps. Rather than lists, and to-do lists are fine, if you even do those. Sometimes we need them. And the older I get, the more I need a to-do list. <laughs> or I'll forget what it was I was walking to the next room for. But let me show you this and see if it clicks. What if we thought about life this way? What if we thought about life from the core? And in this core was our walk with God. It was not a priority, not a number on a to-do list, but our core. That each day we woke up and said, if I do one thing today, it's to work on my core. It's to spend time with my creator. 
Here's what I think could happen. Everything else starts feeding out of that core relationship and that core effort. And so we have our family. We have our work. We have our relationships. We have our church. We have our areas of service and ministry. We have sharing our faith and all kinds of others, that everything built out of our core, instead of seeing our walk with Christ as just another number on a list that seems equal, because I don't know about you, all those numbers start to seem equal, right? That's why we do number seven instead of number two, because we start with just the easiest stuff to get done. What if we lived our life this way? that I work out of my core, that everything else strengthens because our core becomes strong, that our, that our relationship with our family, our kids and our wives and our other relationships in our life start becoming stronger because our core is stronger, because the Spirit is working in our lives to a greater extent because we know Jesus more deeply that our work is changed, that our work ethic starts changing because we're studying those areas of scripture that apply to our work and we're taking that there. And that at work, our, our sharing with others becomes stronger because we can't help but talk about this relationship that we have with Jesus, this growing relationship that is our core. See, I believe you can't help but talk about what's going on at your core. That's kind of what I mean by this idea of core training. Well, there's some enemies, though, that keep us from doing this. I want to share several of them with you. First enemy is lack of discipline. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do, not, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You hear Paul's language? It's about discipline. We're called as believers in Jesus to be self-controlled. But many of us simply let life happen rather than deciding that we want a strong, vibrant relationship with Jesus and working to make that happen. Not working to gain his favor or his grace, we already have that, but working because of that grace. We, we discipline and we train ourselves for godliness. Isn't that what the passage we're studying this morning says? That we're to train ourselves for godliness. Consider Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but also more, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're to work out our own salvation. See, even in, he's using those terms again. 
We must act upon his grace and live in the truth of who we are in Christ and let him use our daily spiritual training to make us more like Jesus. But this takes discipline. It takes planning. It takes effort. It takes organization. It takes energy. It takes desire. And so often we are not motivated to do it. We just don't feel like it. And I think at the core of that, what's happened is that we've forgotten the depth of his love for us and the cost of his grace toward us. And this lack of discipline just starts killing us. Well, related to that is another enemy of building our core, and it's laziness. And it struck me as I was thinking through this portion of the sermon that most of us would never describe ourselves this way. But I dare say that some of us need to describe ourselves this way just to be honest with ourselves. Laziness. There's an interesting section of scripture in Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. It says this, go to the ant, O sluggard. Ooh, I like the word lazy better now. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What's the writer of this proverb saying? Well, the ant works hard even though there's no one watching him. Nobody holding him accountable, telling him what to do and when to do it. The writer saying that for the lazy, the ant is set out as an example from which he should learn and one he should follow. And if he'll learn from the ant and its work ethic, he'll be wise. You know, in studying the phrase, a little folding of the hands to sleep in the Hebrew, it's interesting that it doesn't mean physical sleep, but rather just resting. My grandfather used to say he would be laying in his lazy boy and his eyes would close and we'd go, hey, just rest in my eyes. Yeah, sure you are. He'd either say that or another one he'd say is just checking for leaks, checking for leaks. Now it's okay to rest. Rest is not a bad thing. Like doing things like sitting and talking with your family, rocking on the back deck, enjoying the breeze, closing your eyes for an afternoon nap if you're tired. However, when our lifestyle and focus becomes that of resting and avoiding what needs to be done, that's where there's a problem. This is especially true when we're making and taking little to no time to deepen our relationship with God. When even the habit of doing nothing takes up more time than we spend with Jesus. Think about it. Let that sink in. The habit of doing nothing takes more time than we spend with Jesus. We don't have to look too far to see that the Bible directs us away from laziness because that indulges the flesh and toward self-discipline that denies the flesh, but we get lazy. Another enemy of this core training is busyness. My mother would say this is going from preaching to meddling. 
busyness. Mark 4.19 says, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. See, we are people who are here, there, and everywhere. We are distracted. We are preoccupied. We can't focus on the task in front of us. We don't follow through. We don't keep our commitments. We are so busy with a million pursuits that we don't even notice that the most important things are slipping away. Here's what happens. Because we can do so much, we do do so much. You see, the time that God has given us is a gift. And he's given us stewardship over that time. I can be a good and faithful servant of my time, or I can waste it away with nothing to show for it. Think about this. Jesus was terrifically busy. But only with the things that he was supposed to be doing. Kevin DeYoung, in his great book that is mercifully short, it's called Crazy Busy. It's in the bookstore today. It's only about that thick, and it even says, this is a mercifully short book for people who don't have the time to read it or something like that. He says this, Jesus knew the difference between urgent and important. He understood that all the good things he could do were not necessarily the things he ought to do. You know that Jesus left people not healed? He left crowds wanting more. What did he do? It says he went off to a quiet place. Because there were the things that he could do, but there were things that were more important. But we become busy with busyness. And this busyness can put our souls at risk. The challenge is to not let our spiritual lives slip away. I believe the dangers are serious and they're growing. It's been said that busyness is like sin. Kill it or it will be killing you. The problem is not just with our schedules or with the world's complexity. Something is not right with us. Things are not the way they ought to be because we are not the way that we're supposed to be. Busyness. Then the last enemy I want to talk about is comfort. Romans 7.21 says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then Hebrews 12.11 is challenging. It says, For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We just don't like pain. We like comfort. We'd like everything to be easy and pleasant all the time. But discipline has a painful aspect, doesn't it? Physical or spiritual. 
See, spiritual discipline brings conviction and challenge. Right now, in the midst of it, it can be painful. Anybody ever experienced that physically? You're right in the middle of a workout and you think, what in the world am I doing? And what time is it? Am I a Marine? No, I'm not. Go home, go to bed. That's more comfortable. Well, what's the writer of Hebrews challenge us to do? To look at the long term, at its yield, at, what it, at where it ends up. Look where it ends up. The peace of righteousness. Not enough peace? Strive for godliness. Strive for righteousness. And in that, there's this peace, this deep-seated inner peace of walking with Christ. Here's it, here it is. The outcome is what we want, but we don't want to do what it takes to get there. This is not easy. Good grief. Isn't it much easier to sin and just enjoy it? It seems like it would be easier to just, as one writer put it, make peace with sin. But the reality is that there is a battle that goes on within us, the flesh versus the spirit. And the strong one, the one we feed, wins. Battles are hard work. Scripture tells us and reminds us that this is not going to be easy. It says that all sorts of evil and trouble and danger are promised in this world to those who f follow Christ. There are also the hardships of the cross and of self-denial that believers are called to and the hard work of putting sin to death as we train for godliness. Hebrews 12.4 goes as far as to remind us of the extent of the challenge. When the writer says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He's saying, see how hard this could get? You haven't gotten there yet. The life of spiritual discipline is not for the timid. Chris Lungard, in his great book, The Enemy Within, says this, Most would rather give in to sin than go through the painful work of picking up a cross and nailing their flesh to it. Here's a thought that I think might be helpful if this is your struggle, this idea of comfort is that obedience often comes before feeling. Obedience often comes before feeling. We want it to be the other way around. <laughs> but more often than not, God wants us to simply obey the call to be with Him. Then later, later, because of that obedience, there is this sense of joy and well-being and peace and accomplishment that rises up in us. See, we want it to feel good, and then we'll do it. And God says, no, there's obedience. And the consistency of that obedience brings joy and peace and well-being. Well, how do I become spiritually disciplined and build my core? I'm going to give you a really simple start for the new year. Simple, simple, simple. Number one, read and study God's Word regularly read the bible every day comma even when you don't feel like it 
You see, we battle against our flesh. We battle against the enemy. We battle against our culture that is telling us that this is too hard, this is ludicrous, it's silly. Even when you don't feel like it. You see, if your heart is receptive, God will speak to you. In the New Life Bookstore, New Life Journals that help, will help you do it in an organized way. Bible study plans, reading plans, very simple to keep you on track. Every weekend in your worship folder on the back flap with each day of the week is a passage of scripture. All you got to do is just start there, read that passage. The next day, you go to the next day and read that passage. That's just a great place to start. Read and study God's word. Number two, pray every day. Make time to be quiet and listen to the voice of God. Pray on the go, yes, absolutely. But also set aside time to just be with Jesus. To take your concerns and your needs and the concerns and needs of others to him. And then take the time to, here's a word we as Americans don't like, wait. Be quiet long enough for God to speak. If he has something to say to you in those moments, believe me, he will say them. But we have to take the time and make the space for him. Read and study God's word. Spend time in prayer every day. Three, be accountable to a group of people or to an individual that you trust to walk with you and lead you on the right path. Part of what has to happen here is you have to decide to be honest and authentic and transparent with your struggles or this will never work. Pastor Steve often says that accountability without vulnerability is futility. Make sure you have somebody who's pushing you along. It's why guys at the gym, the big guys at the gym that do bench presses have a spotter. Why? Because that bar might fall on them. What happens if you can't get it up? What happens when it gets hard? What happens when you, you, you've, you've taken on more than you should have? You need a spotter. So to keep this metaphor going, we won't call them accountability partners, we'll call them spotters, spiritual spotters, to lift the bar off when we just can't do it on our own. And number four, live humbly, live righteously, strive for godliness no matter what the world thinks. Keep your focus. Don't let anyone get you off track. Lots of stuff out there ready to get us off track. This is definitely all easier said than done. However, I hope like me, you've decided that I'd rather live a disciplined life walking with Jesus than a life of comfort without him. So the question is, how are you going to obey this training? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. If you're sitting there this morning, you're feeling like, oh, I just can't do this. That's not who you are. You see, you're, you, within you is a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. 
Timidity has no place in the life of a Christian. James 1, 22-24 reminds us that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror and he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. It's when we look in a mirror and, and look and go, that is one big mess. And we go and walk away. That's the picture. My son, I know some of you, you get up in the morning and go, well, nothing else to do on that. But most of us aren't like that. But James is saying you can't be that way. You can't look in a mirror and see that there are things that need to be done and just walk away. You can't just hear the truth. You can't just be challenged by the Spirit to spend time with Jesus and to grow in Him and become a godly, righteous person and walk away. See, here's what we have to do. And to use another sports-oriented phrase, just do it. I'm telling you, it's what you need. It's what you must do. It is worth it. Getting in spiritual shape is a lot like getting in physical shape in that you feel wonderful when you're finally doing it. With physical fitness, your body moans and complains. In the beginning, it doesn't want to do anything. But once you get into it, you feel good knowing that you're accomplishing something. You're gaining a healthier body. You're losing pounds. You're building strength and endurance so that you can enjoy your life more. You're being active. And if you stick with it, it transforms you. Well, that's how it is with getting fit spiritually. At first, your flesh moans and complains about making a change. It doesn't want to change. But once you get into the habit of listening to the Spirit, you feel wonderful because you're fellowship fellowshipping with the Creator. Suddenly, He lifts you up into heavenly places. The difference between physical fitness and spiritual fitness is that training for godliness, as we stated today, has eternal benefit. What do you want to be as a believer in Christ in 2014? How about we train ourselves for godliness? We set aside the silliness of what comes into our life. That we decide we don't want to be about comfort. We're going to figure out how to take hold of our busyness. We're not going to be lazy. We're not going to be undisciplined. We're going to live out of a core that today you say you know if nothing else happens in a day I will build my core and maybe it is getting up at 5.30 in the morning to build your core you see are you willing to do whatever it takes to get spiritually fit to build your core and let it impact every other part of your life the first thing I ask whenever anybody comes in my office with an issue or a problem, the first thing I'll ask is, tell me about what your daily walk with Christ is. My marriage is messed up, Pastor Brian. Well, what's your daily walk with Christ? My kids are a mess. What should I do? Well, what's your daily walk with Christ? Where's your core? I just don't know what God wants me to do. Well, let's get you in the Word. I just don't seem to be 
being able to share my faith. Well, what's your daily walk with Christ? What's your spiritual disciplines? You're building your core. See how it works? So here's what we're going to do as the worship team comes. I want you to take your sheet, and I want you to write down one or two things God's telling you today. What's he talking to you about? About this idea of core training. And take a second and just write it down. Maybe it's a goal. Maybe it's something very specific that he's speaking to you about. So I want you to do that. And then here in a moment after we pray, we'll stand to sing. But I think it's important to do number two, which is to submit the commitment. Submit the, cement the commitment. Because here's what we have a tendency to do. We'll fold it up and put it in our Bible. And next week, you'll open it up and go, oh, yeah. Well, we're in Philippians now, I guess. Cement it. And here's what I'd like you to do is to bring your sheet and come with a friend to the altar. And, and come to this altar and cement it. Tell somebody else what it is God's telling you. And then I'm going to ask that other person to keep that accountable. You can do that or you can come to one of the prayer partners. The prayer partners are coming now and they would gladly pray over these commitments with you and continue to challenge you and keep up and be your spotter. So write those things down and let's cement these commitments today. Father, we come before you. Father, we, we acknowledge all that you have done in us, all that you have done for us. God, may our desire be toward you. Father, help us to build from the core the truth of who we are in Christ and let you fully impact and change every area of our life. Father, I pray that individuals would step out today and cement what you are saying to them as we start into a brand new year, a brand new opportunity to train ourselves for godliness. Amen. Let's stand together.